Mark chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 21. And I'm reading from the New International Version. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. We don't know the content here. What we get is the reaction of the people. The reaction of the people to what Jesus said. And I think that exposes some things in the Jewish people of Jesus' day, in this synagogue. And I think in some ways it's similar to what the presence of Jesus exposes in us. And the first is this. In the presence of Jesus, ego is assaulted. In the presence of Jesus, ego is assaulted. Look with me at verse 21 and 22 again. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Jesus spoke in a way that was unfamiliar to the people, and that's what shocks them at first. As human beings, when we preach anything we claim to be authoritative, we have to preach referentially. And when we cite something as the way you should read a text or respond to God, we have sources, reasons for saying that, that are not just about us. It was the same in Jesus' day. When the rabbis would speak, they would cite authority. They would quote the text, and then they would cite Jewish tradition. They would say, this rabbi says this, and this rabbi says that, and this rabbi says this, and I think this rabbi has the right argument because of this reason, and so I think you should read the text this way. That We got that from the Jewish people. We still do it today. That was the way they were accustomed to hearing the word of God preached, referentially. But when Jesus comes into the synagogue, that's not the way Jesus taught. Jesus, and we find this in Luke and Matthew, but he, he reads the text and then he just tells them what it means. This is what it means. That is a moment when you come into contact with a person like that. And I would suggest to you, and, and you know, scholars debate over how this affected Jesus' ministry, but I'm with those and I think it's, it's a better way to read it, is to summarize their response this way. Who does he think he is? Now we translate it, they were amazed at his teaching. Why does it bother us, the absoluteness of Jesus? Because it still does. Because it assaults our autonomy. It assaults our egos. But you see, we love the ignorance of ourselves and other people because it's very safe. But you see, you can't get away with that with Jesus because He's unequivocal when He speaks. 
And he assaults your ego. He actually dares question that you're smart enough to make the decisions for your life that you have to. Jesus dares question your fitness to choose. Your discernment of what's right and wrong in a given situation. In the presence of Jesus, ego is assaulted. And we're left with only one of two choices, really. Either this guy knows, or other people know. And there's no in-between. But that moves us to the second point I want to make, and I think that this is this issue of the demon. In the presence of Jesus, not only is ego assaulted, but in the presence of Jesus, human nature revolts. Human nature revolts. Look at me with me again at verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits. And they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. A couple of things come out of that passage, and one of them is the thorniest of all. Like, what's this demon thing? What are demons? Right? That's the big question that gets asked. And it could get us off track. I'm going to address it. But I, need, I can't show all my work. But let me ask this question before we get to the issue of the demon. Why was there a demon in the synagogue? Now, the, the Greek is a little bit unclear, I suppose. Um, it just uses the word euthus immediately. So there are some scholars who say that this demon-possessed guy was walking by and sensed a, a, a contrary spirit inside the synagogue, and so he wandered in and had this confrontation. But I think the Greek most naturally reads that he was there. There's some sense here that this guy was in the synagogue. Now, that's interesting because in Judaism, if it was known that a person had an unclean spirit, they would not have been allowed in the synagogue. They would have been put out, out of the community. But this guy's sitting in the synagogue, which means either nobody else knew he was demon-possessed, or maybe he didn't know he was demon-possessed. This is the issue of Mark. Mark, Mark can, you can only tell what kind of a spirit is in a person for Mark based on their responsiveness to Jesus. Jesus exposes what is in us. The presence of Jesus, human nature revolts. Now, Mark uses the term uh, unclean spirit or, or uh, dirty spirit, colloquially. What does that mean? Well, uh, it's hard to say what a demon is, but I can tell you that I believe they exist, in case you fear that. But I, I believe that probably there's something nuanced going on, because a couple things we want to notice about the Gospel of Mark. First, not all illnesses are, are cast in terms of demon possession. That's not the way Jesus rolls. Every time somebody's sick, every time somebody's a little demented, he doesn't cast out a demon. Um, so Jesus seems to be able to distinguish between demon possession and other kinds of illnesses. He seems to be able to do that. So, what is a demon? I just need to say it this way. 
When God breathed life into humanity in the Garden of Eden, He breathed in the breath of life to dead stuff. It is said that He formed humanity out of the dust of the earth and He breathed into them the breath of life. And that spirit, that breath, animated that dead material and made a human being. And we walk around. And so for the Jewish people, a human being is a combination of dead, inert, lifeless matter and the breath of God breathed into them. And together they become a soul. So that's the Jewish picture of what a human is. So if your spirit within you is a good spirit, then it moves you in good ways. But if the spirit within you is unclean, then it moves you within unclean ways. And somehow in the scriptures we're told that these unclean spirits can come to control a person. And that's usually what we mean by demon possession. So Paul will say that our real battle in this world is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You remember him saying that. For Paul, evil is not a, an ethic or a category, it's a force, a personal force with which we either partner or with which we are at war. And if we partner with that force of evil in the world, if we, if we contribute to it, if we are willing to accept its values and so on, then we can partner with it to such an extent that eventually it can take us over. And that becomes demon possession. We can war against it. And the Jewish people were taught to war against it with the law and with obedience to the covenant of Sinai and all of that. But somehow there was a man, and I think this is what Mark is getting at, in that synagogue who was partnering with the forces of evil. Whether he knew it or not, I don't know how cognizant he was that he was doing it, but he was partnering with forces of evil. He was living by their value set. He was, he was contributing to them maybe with sin in his own life. However he was doing it, he was partnering with those forces. And when he was, came into the presence of Jesus, he became furious. Furious. We're often told in the church that God loves us. That somehow coming into the presence of Jesus is like receiving a huge hug. Like coming into the presence of Jesus is coming into the presence of one who for the very first time in our lives we feel his love and his acceptance unconditionally. We've heard it explained that way, right? And for some of us, that's true, especially for those who have come to the end of themselves, who are fully aware that they've been living by the values of the world and, and the world has let them down. If those are consequences of, of evil behavior, and we agree that the behavior that led to that is evil, if we're at that place, then when we hear the good news of Jesus, it is a word of hope. Because the first thing he says to us, you blew it, we already knew. And so when he then says, I can help, that sounds like good news. And so for those of us who were there when we first heard the call of Jesus to follow him, it does. It is a very welcoming call. But not everybody is there when Jesus calls to them. I mean, now, the scriptures will tell us that we're all equally bankrupt, but that's irrelevant since we don't all feel equally bankrupt, and that's really what matters. For some of us, when we meet Jesus... We feel like we're pretty good people. And so when that kind of a person comes in contact with Jesus, it's not always clear to us what's in us. And it's only when we come into the presence of Jesus that who we are gets exposed.
And if in that moment who we are is being criticized, we may just find out how much our partnership with darkness is costing us. And at that moment, you are exposed. Some of us think that we don't want to follow Jesus because we can't wrap our mind around the, Him being raised from the dead. Others of us want to believe that there are good reasons to believe there's no God. Some of us get tied up in this idea that I don't believe the earth is 4,000 years old, so I can't follow Jesus. I think, I think, I think that a lot of that is the misdirection of the forces of evil, trying to keep your eye on everything but that which matters. Now, I'm not saying Genesis doesn't matter. Take my Bible study on Genesis. You'll see that I think it does matter. But what really matters is what is exposed in you when you come into the presence of Jesus and how you will deal with that moment. Will you submit? Will you lay down? Will you accept that He has the right to tell you what to think and to do? Or will you negotiate with Him? Think of Him as a dialogue partner. And get your way around or out of what he seems to clearly be telling you in his word. And so what we're getting at, and what I think they began to discover in that very first synagogue service with Jesus, is that this was a personality that was either going to save Israel or destroy it. And as they walked with him through the Gospel of Mark, and you're going to watch it happen, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish authorities come to think two things about Jesus. Number one, these dialogues he has with demons, he must be friends with them. So they accuse him of being demon-possessed. And then secondly, this is the most arrogant human being we have ever met. And this guy is either going to bring down the wrath of Rome on Judaism and wipe us all out, or he's going to save us. And by the end, they're convinced of the former that Jesus is going to be the end of their religion. And I know, if we were honest, when we encountered Jesus honestly, if we actually bothered to read, we'd feel the same. That to really follow this guy with all my heart is going to turn my life upside down. I don't think I want that world. I'm not sure I can live in that world. And that part of us that contributes and partners with the forces of evil in this world, it rises up in us. And we, we can do one of two things in that moment. We can either try to soften Jesus so he's not saying what we think he's saying. I call that theological liberalism. Or we can just be honest with ourselves and walk away and say, this God isn't for me. The problem is that Jesus claims that Whatever you think about this doesn't change one lick about what the truth is. And that's another thing that makes us angry about him. In the presence of Jesus, ego is exposed. Our self-righteousness, our arrogance. And in the presence of Jesus, our human nature revolts. God speaks when we read Jesus. And our human nature will revolt. We can come under the control of the Holy Spirit. But that does not mean that the nature that would revolt against God is ever fully excised. We must not trust our feelings or our instincts or our reactions to always lead us in the way of God. If that were the case, we wouldn't need this book. Can I suggest to you that one of the things that Jesus exposes in us is that our conscience is broken? Matter of fact, some can be in the sanctuary 
and be currently in the control of a spiritual force of evil. And one of the things that this book becomes for us, if it is read appropriately, and I think read appropriately means read through Jesus, this becomes a conscience that is outside of us. It doesn't carry with it the biases that I do. It has a set of biases, but part of what it means for it to be inspired is that God was guiding the culture that produced it, the culture of Israel. And because it stands outside of me and outside of myself, this is the conscience of the church, and it's the conscience of the individual. This is where we need to look for guidance. It's not going to answer all of our questions, but it's going to give principles. Your conscience doesn't give you all of the, the things to do. But it helps you to see the sphere in which your activities are supposed to be patterned. Churches go wrong. But like a person can go wrong, the one thing that holds us fast is that conscience. Because at some point, as long as the conscience exists, somebody can say, wait a second, what's happening here? Are we really, is this really what God wants of us? And there's been one mechanism in the church through 2,000 years that has always served that function, and it's this. So when the Roman Catholic Church was going off its rails, Martin Luther, by reading this text, was convicted that something was wrong. When slavery was an accepted part of European and American history, Christians read this book, and despite the fact that some Christians used this book to justify those decisions and behaviors, other Christians read it and they felt the conscience of the king. And they realized that had to die. And so as much as Christians supported those institutions, it was Christians who brought them down. This is our conscience. So if you want to know what's right, you've got to be exposed to Jesus. And like any conscience, oftentimes it will feel aggressive. It'll feel judgmental. It'll feel hurtful. But if you cannot embrace what the presence of Jesus does to you, you won't know the freedom that comes in following the conscience of your king.